In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, good evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. I'm going to start in John chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Please notice that the last part of verse 8 tells us that a sign of being a disciple of the Lord is having results or fruit. And the fruit he's talking about specifically is prayer fruit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you herein in this manner. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Notice in verse 7, it talks more about us, the individual, the one who is praying. This word ask uh, really means to call for or require. It talks more about your responsibility than it does God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. What does it mean to abide? We have to recognize that it's talking about two things, or two parts of the same thing, perhaps. One is relationship with God, and the other is relationship with His Word. If you abide in me, this word abide means to live on or to dwell. It's talking about a close relationship or a close fellowship. And, of course, we have the relationship with God our Father through the work of Jesus. His sacrifice has made available the place for us to dwell in Him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. I like just reading that. It's a tremendous promise. It's staggering in its meaning. What does it mean to abide in him or the word to abide in us? Some people will look at this verse of scripture and say, well, yeah, does that mean if I prayed for some outrageous or uh, unrealistic thing, then I would get that? Well, if the word of God abides in you, you're not going to be asking for things that are outside of the will of God. You will have committed your life and the focus of your life to him to serve him and to walk in his word. I think there are some other places in the Bible that the Holy Ghost communicates the same truth to us that might help us to have a better understanding of what it means to abide in him. One of those is in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We're used to starting with verse 1, talking about presenting your body a living sacrifice. But notice verse 2. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or experience what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Abiding in Him would be renewing your mind, wouldn't it? And notice that the Word of God has transforming power. The Word of God has transforming power to live according to the Word, to put the Word of God in your heart. 
to settle it once and for all and believe it and confess it. Those things transform us. They take us from a place of weakness, doubt, and fear to a place of courage and confidence and faith. Another place where abiding in him is spoken of in different terms is in Matthew chapter 7. Beginning in verse 24, Jesus said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Well, then the Word of God has sustaining power, too. We've seen the transforming power. We've seen Jesus say that based on our relationship with with God the Father, us being in Him, in Christ, that we can ask what we will if the Word of God abides in our heart. If we've put the Word of God first place, if we've used the Word of God to be transformed from the way the world is to thinking God's thoughts and operating according to His ways and principles. We see here in Matthew chapter 7 that it has sustaining power. God will get you through by the Word of God, by the power of the Word. God will get you through any and every situation that you have need. He'll certainly get us through this pandemic. But even more than that, he'll get us to even harder and tougher places in life. I believe that abiding in him and the word abiding in us is also identified in Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life unto those that find them. And health to all their flesh. There's a discovery process with the word. I believe that's the transforming power of God that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12. It transforms us. We come to discover the power of God and the working of God's power in a much greater way than maybe we even expected. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, the truth of what Jesus has done for us. The Word of God, in other words. For it, the Word of God, is power unto salvation. God's power to affect salvation, and I'm not just talking about the forgiveness of sins. People see the word salvation and they think about only one thing, and that is somebody committing their heart to the Lord. Well, there's nothing greater than that. But the word salvation is a much more inclusive term than just forgiveness of sins. It means to rescue, to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to make whole. It's an all-inclusive term that covers God's plan for our well-being spiritually, physically, financially, and through the renewing of our minds even through our souls. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for yet the word of God is the power of God. You know, there have been a lot of things that I have to be thankful for over the last almost 10 years. But one thing that's 
maybe head and shoulders above the others, is that I found God's sustaining power through his word. I, um, somewhere in, I think it was the spring of 2011, I was attacked in body with what the doctors are, have diagnosed as Parkinson's disease. And there were a lot of things that hit me all at once. I didn't go to the doctor for uh, about a year. But I stood on the word. I confessed the word. But I was under an, uh, an onslaught or a barrage of symptoms. And the, the symptoms in and of themselves were not devastating. But it was something I was totally unprepared for. I found, and sometime later through the doctors and um, research on my own, I found out some of the things that were symptoms of Parkinson's. And these things began to operate against me and in my body even before I had any diagnosis. I found that I had trouble talking because I had to concentrate on breathing. It sounds funny, and since it's not the case anymore, it's, it's almost like it happened to somebody else a long time ago. But I had to think. I had to make a conscious choice to breathe. Well, it's hard to talk while you're thinking about breathing. Another symptom that was right on the heels of the breathing difficulty was that I lost every bit of strength that I had. I would finish a service, push my way through a service, and just collapse after the service was over. It took everything I had just to get through. Well, through a process of time, believing God, symptom after symptom began to disappear. He gave me back my breath. I know there's a song, I don't even know what song it is, but I, I remember hearing the words to a song that talks about God is my breath. And when, the first time I heard it, I had already conquered by the word of God that symptom. And I wondered if the people that were singing the song really knew what they were talking about. Because I found that God restored my breath. It sounds like, well, it sounds to me when I describe it like a simple thing because breathing is an involuntary action that takes place in our bodies. But there's something about that neurological disorder that takes away the involuntary action and requires a voluntary determination. So I found that through the Word of God, just simply claiming my healing. Over a period of time, it took a couple of years, but over a period of time, I regained my breath. A short time after that, I regained my strength. After, um, after about a year, I think it was, 
I found a doctor and thought that I might as well find, a, uh, um, find out what this is so that maybe I would know better how to stand against it and believe God. And so I found a neurosurgeon here in the local area. And the first thing that he did, and understandably so, is he sent me for an MRI. Well, after we got the results and I had a doctor's appointment to review the results and that type of thing, the first thing he asked me, first question he asked me is, how long ago was it that you had your stroke? And I was surprised. I said, well, I've never had a stroke. What do you mean? And he said, well, it's right there on your MRI. Now, I didn't think about it in the doctor's office, but I did think about it later on. And during that first year, before I went to the doctor, it was an evening service. I think it was a midweek service. While I was ministering, or doing the best I could to minister at least, still was dealing with the breathing and the, the strength situations, symptoms. But all of a sudden, I got real hot. I got lightheaded. So much so that I had to stop what I was doing, stop preaching the word, and I unbuttoned my collar and I loosened my tie. And then I realized that this was something that was very obviously an attack of the devil. I was in the middle of an attack of the devil. And I stood right here on the platform and I saw that first row of chairs. And one thought that I had, maybe the first thought that I had is, if I could just get to that chair and sit down. But then there was another voice that rose up on the inside of me. And I knew that if I sat down in that chair, I'd never get back up. And folks, I found the sustaining power of God. It didn't disappear right away, talking about the attack. But it didn't progress any further. After a few minutes, I gathered myself and went back to preaching, teaching on whatever I, I was talking about beforehand. And I've never had any trouble with it since. I found out after church that people had decided that I was having a heart attack. And it's created quite a stir for the next few days. Now, I didn't feel strong. I felt like I was about to fall flat on my face. And I think a lot of times the power of God, we make a mistake by thinking that God's strength feels strong to us. I didn't feel any surge of strength. I didn't feel anything except the effect of the symptoms on my body. But God's word will, make, will help you stand. He'll hold you up. He'll see you through. The sustaining power of God is not something that I ever really focused on before. Because I didn't really associate sustaining power 
with real victory. Victory seems like it should be something where we're on the move, moving forward, conquering walls that are in our path, watching the walls of Jericho fall down, so to speak, seeing our enemies run from us. But whether you see or feel those things, God's power sees us through every time. It sees us through every time. I'm going to read from a story I've been using a lot here lately from Daniel chapter 3. It's the story of the three Hebrew children that were brought before before Nebuchadnezzar because they refused to worship his golden image at the right times of the day when the music would sound. Nebuchadnezzar makes a deal with them after the king finds out through others who are jealous of them, I guess. Word comes back to the king that they're not bowing down and worshiping the golden image that he set up. And so he brings them before him or has them brought before him. And he says, now if when the music sounds, you worship my image, bow down and worship my image, we'll, we'll just treat this as a do-over. But if you don't, worship at the appropriate time and bow down to this golden image that I've set up then I'll cast you into the burning fiery furnace and who is able to deliver you from my hands if I do that three Hebrew children answer and said we're not careful to answer thee in this matter in other words from the time that the decree had been issued they realized that they could not and and would not bow down and worship a golden image or any other kind of God that was commanded to worship. And so they rehearsed this among themselves and were prepared for the the difficulty when it came. So they said, remember the question is, if, or the statement Nebuchadnezzar made was, if you don't fall down, I will throw you in the fiery furnace and then who will deliver you? Well, the three Hebrew children answer and they say, if you throw us in, the one that will deliver us is is the God that we serve. But if you don't throw us in, we're still not going to worship your image. It tells us that Nebuchadnezzar's visage was changed. He flew into a rage that changed his appearance in a significant way. He commanded the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than ever before it was so hot that the strongest men of his army that threw these three guys into the the furnace were killed by the heat of it and so Nebuchadnezzar looks down into the furnace and he sees he calls his advisors and he asks a question he said didn't we throw three guys in there and weren't they bound when we threw them in And the counselor said, yeah, that's exactly what we did. He said, well, I see four guys walking around. They're all unbound, and the appearance of the fourth guy is like the Son of God. And it says that he called for them. I'm going to read this part. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace. 
and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and all the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men. Listen to this phrase. I love how it says this. All these counselors saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Folks, the promise of God to be with us and to deliver us and the realization of everything that Jesus did and sacrificed for us doesn't mean that we're ever going to feel any different. But sickness has no power over your body because of the work of Jesus. It doesn't mean the devil doesn't have a right to attack you. He does. But there's no work of the devil if we're abiding in him and his word is abiding in us. There's no work of the devil that can cause sickness or disease or any other thing that's of the devil to have power over our flesh. There's going to be viruses out there. There's going to be bacteria out there. There's going to be sickness and disease out there. But if we abide in him and his word abides in us, it has no power over our bodies. So they saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. God takes care of things down to the smallest detail. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, notice this phrase, and delivered his servants that trusted in him. And delivered his servants that trusted in him. Folks, the Bible says in more than one place, they that believe on the Lord shall not be ashamed. That means God will always see us through. He'll never let us down. He'll never cause somebody to wonder why didn't he step forward and why didn't he do what the word says he would do because he always honors his word. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because that there is no other God that can deliver after this sort or in this manner. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They found the power of God that backed them up, that delivered them, that protected them, that sustained them. And I guess in one sense we could even say that it transformed them. It certainly transformed them in the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar. Because now even though he doesn't become a worshiper of God himself, He made sure that nobody spoke against their God 
because of his delivering power. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, Jesus has commanded his disciples to go, the 70 to go two and two in pairs to every city that he would follow up and join them in or preach to at a later date. And they come back and they report everything that happened. Verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. There's no record in the previous verses that Jesus said anything to them about the devil or casting out the devil or whatever. But apparently they have found through the use of the name that evil spirits obeyed them as well. Verse 18, Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He wasn't talking about as a result of what the 70 did, but rather he was pointing out that God threw him out of heaven when he rebelled with the third of the angels against him. And the war in heaven, whatever it turned out to be, resulted in Satan being cast down to the earth, an outcast and a defeated enemy. So he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Verse 19, behold, I give unto you power. The word power here, the first word power is the word authority. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. That word is a different word. It means ability. So he's saying we have authority over the devil's ability. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Well, by any means would include sickness and disease, wouldn't it? Sickness and disease don't get the last word. Because when we abide in him and his word abides in us, we have a foundation. The foundation of building our lives upon the rock of the truth of his word. And we can expect transformation to take place. Spiritually, certainly in our minds as we renew our minds to the word but physically too. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. That means the devil doesn't have a means to overcome the power of God that sustains us and transforms us and upholds us and delivers us. He doesn't have any means that is stronger than God's word that provides that deliverance for us. Now I want you to think back at times of your life Places that were hard places, difficulties, adversities that came against you. And remember the faithfulness of God. Remember what God did for you. Remember how he made a way for you. Removed the situation. Sustained you to go through it. We've all got those stories in our lives. Maybe to varying degrees because of the attention or lack of attention we gave to the word in, in times past. But think on God's faithfulness. Think not only on his greatness, the greatness of his power, but of his mercy, his loving kindness, that with which he redeemed us. I love the last two verses of Psalm 91. Because I've set my love upon him, he delivers me. 
Because I've known his name, he sets me on high. When I call upon him, he answers me. He is with me in trouble. He rescues me. He honors me. Then God speaks with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, and crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. We've got some awesome promises from God. Promises that will put us over. Promises that will lead us into victory. The word of God is the power of God. To rescue us, to deliver us, to make us safe, to make us sound, and to make us whole or heal our bodies. What a great God we serve. What a loving Heavenly Father we have. Who watches over His Word to perform it. Faithful is He who called us, He will also bring it to pass. Hallelujah. I'm just going to worship the Lord for a moment and I invite you to join with me. Father, I thank you so much for the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. I thank you, Father, that there is no work of the enemy that's greater than your word and the power of your word. I thank you for transforming us by the renewing of our minds. Enabling us as we think in line with your word and obey what your word tells us to do. You transform us so that we receive and experience the fullness of your blessings. We truly experience the perfect will of God. Father, I thank you that by the words of our mouths, the power of God is brought to bear on our behalf. Through putting the word of God in our hearts, by meditating in the word, by speaking your word to ourselves, we thank you, Father, for light, the illumination of the word of God to show us what to do, what steps to take, and how to conduct ourselves as you lead us into victory. Father, we thank you that victory is already ours because of what Jesus has done. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Father, there's none like you. There's no other God, no other being that could deliver like you do that could transform us like you do, that could uphold us like you do, that could strengthen us like you do, that could help us like you do. We love you, Father. I thank you for being so good to me. I thank you for making your word and the power of your word known in me and through me. If to no one else but at least to me, you've shown yourself strong. You've shown yourself faithful. 
you've shown yourself worthy of adoration and even our worship. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, if it wasn't for you to fulfill the Father's plan of redemption, we would be lost. Father, if not for your word, we would have lost hope. We would have fainted along the way. But your word helped us and strengthened us and held us up. So, Father, we claim the victory. The victory that your word says is ours. The victory that Jesus died for us to have. We declare that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We declare that since you're on our side, we'll not be afraid of what man or the devil can do to us. We love you, Father. We magnify your holy name. We thank you for being good to us. We thank you for delivering us. We thank you for healing our bodies and keeping us healthy. In Jesus' name.